I invite you to turn with me now in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Philippians. This morning we'll be back in Philippians chapter 3. I want to ask you to think for a minute about the future. Now perhaps you are a person who likes to plan, who likes to think about what you hope to be doing five years from now or 10 years or 20 years from now. Maybe you are always making plans like this. Others here probably never do that. Instead, you like Jesus' words, sufficient for each day is its own trouble. But either way, I want to ask you to think with me about a couple questions about your future. The questions are all related, but they just come at the same thing from, from different angles. So my first question is, what do you hope for in the future? Second, what do you hope will happen to you in the future? Third, what do you hope will be true of you in the future? Now, to be clear on this, I'm actually not asking about what you hope for five or ten years from now. That's not what I have in mind by the future. Okay, these are not questions about if you've planned well for retirement. Instead, I'm asking about the future as in the last day or the final day or the day of Christ. I'm thinking of different ways this is talked about in the Bible. The day when Jesus comes again. The day on which we appear before God at the judgment seat. Thinking about that day when I'm using the future. Okay? So what do you hope for on that day? What do you hope will happen to you on that day? What do you hope will be true of you on that day? Now, perhaps I should ask us all at this point uh, something I needed to ask myself this week. Which is basically the question, when is the last time you thought about this sort of thing? Okay, this is a struggle for me. Does that day even matter to you on a regular basis? Now, I hope it does, but how much does that day shape you in any ways in your life today? Okay. Now, all of those questions have been running through my mind. This week, but I want to keep our attention on the first questions I asked. What do you hope for on that day? What do you hope will happen to you? What do you hope will be true of you on that day? Now, as we've done the last two sermons in Philippians, I want to begin by reading the whole section that we're in. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. Our focus today is going to be in the middle of the text, but let's begin back in verse 1. Philippians 3, verse 1. Paul says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, 
I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, just a quick recap of what we've already seen in the passage. You see, Paul talks a lot about himself in this passage and how he thinks. He talks about his past, his present, and his future. But throughout the whole text, he's talking about Christ. So he's thinking of his past in relation to Christ, his present in relation to Christ, his future in relation to Christ. That's, that's what he talks about throughout the section. But, but why does he write it down? Why does he write down so much about how he thinks in the passage? Paul shares how he thinks specifically because he wants others to think how he thought. That's why I keep having us read the whole text, each, each sermon on this passage. Paul intentionally puts himself forward as a model of how to think about your past, your present, and your future. I mean, what is the conclusion or the application of this section? It's verse 15. Paul says, let those of us who are mature think like this. That's the application of the whole section. Now, in the first sermon on this passage, we look closely at the first seven verses. That's the part where Paul focuses primarily on his own past and on how he thought about it. That's where he lays out all of his privileges he had from birth and all of the things he had accomplished throughout his life. And that leads to the most important verse in that section, verse 7, where he says, but whatever gain I thought I had from those things, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Then in our last sermon on this text, we look mostly at verses 8 to 11. But in that sermon, we stayed focused on the, on the things that Paul said about the present specifically about his greatest ambition in life. And what was that? Do you remember? What was Paul's greatest ambition? It was to know Christ intimately, personally. This is his ambition after walking with Jesus for nearly 30 years. It was to know Christ better to have a deeper relationship, a closer fellowship with Christ. That, that passion shaped him and drove him day after day. In verse 8, Paul says it this way. 
I've suffered the loss of all things because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He goes on, says, for, for Christ's sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them all as garbage so that I might gain Christ. In verse 10, he says it this way, my ambition is to know him and the power of his resurrection and to share in his suffering, to become like him even in his death. Paul wanted to experience what the Lord he loved had experienced, both his resurrection power and his cross-like suffering. He wanted to know Christ in every way he could because that was his greatest ambition in life. Now, that's where we've been so far, but today our attention, though it's going to be on some of the same verses, it's going to be on the parts that are about the future. I want to look at what Paul said about the future and how he thought about his own future. So to think of the same questions in relation to Paul. What did Paul hope for in the future? What did Paul hope would happen to him in the future? And what did Paul long to be true of himself on that great day? Let's pick up today in verse 8 again, and I want to read into the first words of verse 9. So verse 8 says, Indeed, I count Everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ. Now, that last line lays out two of Paul's goals. What does he long for? He longs to gain Christ. Now, I think that's, that's a lot of what we talked about last time. He longed to know Christ, to lay hold of Christ, to experience more and more of Christ. But I want to focus today on that second goal, which is the first phrase of verse 9. Paul says he's gladly traded in everything else so that he could gain Christ and be found in Christ. That is an interesting phrase. Paul says he wants to be found in Christ. Paul never says it quite like that in any other text. And as I've studied this, especially where he's going to go in the letter, in, the, in these verses, it seems clear that this is a goal Paul has for the future. In other words, this is something Paul longs to be true of himself on that day. His hope is that on that day, he will be found in Christ. Now, that's interesting because if you've read much of Paul's letters, you will see that Paul talks a lot about being in Christ. And what you see is that Paul is really clear that all believers are already in Christ. All true believers are already connected and bound to Christ. Like to think of how Paul talks about this. We are no longer in sin. We are no longer in Adam. We are no longer in the domain of darkness. 
we are already, now and forever, in Christ. This brings to mind a great verse from Romans 8, for example. You probably know this one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay. But here, in this text, Paul begins to lay out what he longs for, what his goals are, I think, what he longs for on the final day. And what does he say? I want to be there, found in Christ. Why? Because that's the key to his whole future. And, and that is the key to our future. Our only hope for a good future is that we are found on that day in Christ. Think of it. If we end up on that day outside of Christ, disconnected from Christ, on our own, what will happen? We will be lost. Our only hope is that we're found in Christ. And again, Paul is clear throughout his writings. We're already in Christ. We've already died with Christ to sin and been raised with Christ to walk in the newness of life. We're already in Christ. Christ is already in us. But, but there is still more to come of this. There is an even greater and deeper union with Christ that is still before us. And Paul longs for it. He longs to be found on that day in Christ, fully and forever united to the Lord he loves. Now, we may never have said it quite this way. In fact, Paul doesn't say it this way any other place. But, but as you think about it, don't you long for that? How do you want to be found on that day? Where do you want to be found? I want to be found on that day in Christ, bound to the one who laid down his life for me, united to the one who conquered death for me. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 9 to explain more of what he longs for in the future. Look at verse 9 again. He says, I want to be found in Christ this way, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Okay, what is Paul's hope for the future? Or more specifically, what does he long to have on that day? What do you want to have on that day? He says, I want to be there Having the right kind of righteousness. Okay. If, if we get there to that day without righteousness or with the wrong kind, what will happen? We will be lost. What Paul says here in verse 9 reminds me of what he said in verse 6. He says, he's looking back in verse 6. He says, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. 
You see, Paul had a kind of righteousness in his past. A kind that he describes here as my own. One that comes through the law. And what did Paul come to realize about that kind of righteousness? It was rubbish. It was garbage. This is right in line with it. A familiar line from Isaiah 64. That all our righteous deeds are like what? Filthy rags. What Paul came to see is that this kind of righteousness, a kind that came through ethnicity and performance that comes through the law, could never deliver him on that day. It may have been impressive to many people of his day, but he knew it would not impress God at all on that day. Paul's longing was to be there before God, having the right kind of righteousness. But the question is, what kind is that? Well, it's not the kind that comes through your pedigree or ethnicity or your performance. It's the kind that comes through faith in Christ. I mean, this, is, this is just from verse 9. It's not the kind of righteousness that comes through doing the law. It's the kind that comes from God to you as a free gift. It's not the kind that depends on you. It's the kind that depends on trusting someone better than you. It's the kind that depends on faith in Christ. This is Paul saying in shorthand what he says in longer form in the middle of Romans. When he says, in, in this great text in Romans, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bore witness to it, the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Paul's longing was to be there on that day having the right kind of righteousness. Do you long for that? What do you want to have there on that day? I want to be there not having my own righteousness. Not clothed in my own deeds because God doesn't want it or need it. My best efforts will never deliver me and yours will not deliver you. All our righteous deeds are insufficient. We do not have what it takes. If that's all we've got when we get there, we'll be lost. Or to think of it from a different way. I don't want to be there on that day before God pointing at myself as my hope. 
I want to stand there on that day pointing to Jesus as my only hope, not clothed in my own righteousness, but clothed in His. I want to be found on that day in Him, having the right kind of righteousness, the kind God gave me as a gift through just trusting His Son. Now to the last thing Paul's hoping for in the text. Look at verse 10 and 11. My goal is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Okay, what is Paul's hope for the future? What does he long to experience? He longs to experience the resurrection of the dead. And, and we can only imagine how that became more and more real and precious to Paul as he drew nearer and nearer to death. As we already talked about last time, Paul longed to experience Christ's resurrection power even now. He says in verse 10, I long to know him and the power of his resurrection. He wanted to experience that kind of power here and now in his life. But verse 11 is not about the present. Verse 11 is about Paul's hope for the future. He longed to arrive at the resurrection of the dead. And just a quick word on the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. All true Christians believe in the resurrection of the dead. We do not only believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We must believe that. But we also believe that all the dead will be raised, both the just and the unjust. But many, most, in fact, will be raised only to judgment and condemnation. But that is not true of those who are in Christ. Those who are in Christ will be resurrected to life everlasting, granted new and better bodies like our Lord's, bodies that are fit to inherit the age to come. Now back in our text, what's Paul saying he longed for? He longed for that. He longed to arrive, to attain the resurrection of the dead. He longed to be one of those whom God would raise to life everlasting. He longed to be among those who would inherit the age to come. He longed to be one of those whom God would grant a new resurrection body just like Jesus' body, so that he could live with Jesus and reign with Jesus forever. And this is the hope of every Christian. This is the hope of resurrection, a resurrection that is guaranteed because Jesus died and rose again. This resurrection hope burned in Paul's heart, and it seemed to only burn stronger as he could see the day of his death drawing near. 
as his outer body was wasting away, this hope only grew the hope of resurrection from the dead. You can tell from how he words it, how much he longs for it. He says, so that by any means possible, I may lay hold of the resurrection of the dead. Paul did not know if Christ would come before he died and he would just be caught up and changed or if Paul's body would go to the grave in death that was seeming more and more likely to await the resurrection of the dead. But either way, he longed for it to be made fully new. And and I would not take verse 11 when he says, so that by any means, I would not take that as Paul communicating some doubts about whether he would be raised. Instead, he's communicating how much he longs for it. Whatever it takes, this is my aim. By any means possible to experience the resurrection of the dead. Question, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? I hope so. It is a foundational Christian belief. I love Jesus' words to Lazarus' sister, Martha, that we read earlier. Then read them. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asks her, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And the follow-up is, do we long for it? Do you long for this mortal body to be swallowed up by immortality? Do you long to exchange this feeble, dying body for a resurrection body? For a body that will be better than this? For a body that will be just like Jesus' glorious body. One that will never die, never decay, and never be destroyed. For a body that will be fit to live forever with the Lord you love. As we close today, I want to return to the questions that I began with about the future. What do you hope for on that day? What do you hope will happen to you on that day? What do you hope will be true of you on that day? We've seen Paul's answers to those questions. He hoped to be found in Christ. He hoped to experience the resurrection of the dead. And he hoped to be there with the right kind of righteousness. All of those things make up what I think Paul calls elsewhere the hope of the gospel. Because Christ died for our sins and rose again, all those who trust him have this hope. We share in the same faith, in the same Savior. And so we share in the same hope. The hope of a righteous verdict on Judgment Day, and the hope of resurrection. 
That is a hope so strong it can stabilize us in suffering. It has, even recently in some of our lives. It's a hope so strong it can comfort us in our sorrows. It is a hope so strong it can give us courage even in the face of death. The good news of the gospel is not only that Jesus has dealt with our sins and provided the forgiveness of our sins. It is also that Jesus has secured for us this hope, the hope of righteousness and resurrection from the dead. Praise God for the hope of the gospel. And may God help us to live in the light of it and to not forget about it. That is what I need because I, I can tend to think about the future only as long as I'm talking about it or reading about it in the text. And then I leave. And this is something I struggle with. Maybe you do too. Maybe the questions I asked about, when's the last time you even thought about this? Maybe that struck home to your heart like it did to mine. We want to praise God for the hope of the gospel. And may God help us to live in the light of it and to take from it the strength that it's supposed to give us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope of the gospel, the hope of standing in the right before you, clothed in better righteousness than ours. Thank you for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. We believe that Christ has been raised, and so we also believe that we will all be raised with him to experience the joys of the age to come. I pray that you would strengthen us for what's before us, whether it be suffering or sorrow or even death. May you strengthen us through this hope that we might endure with joy and gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.